0: Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. And so today we're gonna to be in John chapter six, and as we go into John chapter 6, we'll read about 14 verses of that. And as, um, as we talk about this and we honor our moms today, I really just wanted to, uh, to back up and honor my mom. You know, she's 90. I was able to go uh, celebrate her 90th birthday with her a few weeks ago. And uh, she's a hoot, man. And uh, I, I can't remember if I told you this, but I'm 55, so I'm, I'm going towards that direction that I tell stories over and over, and I forget that I've told them. And uh, so I, I was with her uh, at her birthday, and we were just kind of sitting outside of the retirement home, and the workers were getting ready for shift change, and they came out and they said, all right, Miss Betty, we'll see you tomorrow. And uh, this one guy, he says, now, Miss Betty, you can't go anywhere else for the rest of the week. And uh, she said, "If I got away, I'm going," you know to her little uh, sparky self. And he said he said, "You keep them roads hot. You keep those roads hot, hotter than road runner." And he said, "That's what we call her around here, Road runner. She's the road runner. And so really quick, before we had her birthday party, uh, me and, and some of the kids, we went and had a, a shirt made up for her that had road runner on it uh, because I'm telling you, man, that, that lady, she's got some spunk. Um, she worked for 40 years, uh, in the same job. She worked longer than that, but she worked for 40 years in the same job and she just retired at age 89. I don't even see how that's legal with the city of Greenville where we, uh, are from in Mississippi, but somehow, uh, man, they must've been hard up for uh, school crossing guards for, to keep her on the payroll for that long. And I would joke with her uh, at times. And I would say to her, I said, mom, at this point, the kids are helping you across the street now. Come on, let's be honest. You know, that's true. And, uh, all right. One more mom story. Okay. Cause she's, I'm serious. I could write a book about her. Um, and I, I've, Told this story too, but I want to tell it again just because I can. And it's mom's day. Uh, My mom, she was over at the school crossing. This was like, I think, last year. And so she called my nephew to help her because she had left the lights on. She gets there before the sun comes up, and uh, so she'll have her lights on. where she forgot to cut the lights uh, off uh, as the sun came up, and it ran her battery down. So she calls my nephew to come help her get the car started. And he said, uh, well, uh, he calls her mama because that's uh, my his grandmother who raised him. And uh, she's, he's like a son to her as well. And he said, mama, how, how did you run down the battery in your car? And she said, I guess I just got distracted. She said, I was over there watching that alligator trying to keep the kids safe. And he's like, Mama, oh, there's no alligator around here. I've told y'all this story. Yeah, I, I think I've told some of y'all. Maybe I told a men's group. But anyway, she, he said, "Mama, oh, there's no alligators around here. There, where, there's no water. Where would, it, where would it come from? And she said, I ought to know an alligator when I see one. <laughs> and he's like, I just, for the sake of argument, I'm just going to walk over there and just prove to her there's no alligator. And he said, I walked over there, and there's a six-foot alligator in the ditch. <laughs> And it's like, so, man, just, I love her. She's awesome. My mom is a servant. Her love language that she speaks is service. Her love language that she receives is definitely gifts. But she speaks in the language of service. When I was a kid, my mom, she... Um, she woke up serving and she went to bed serving. She served us all the days of our life. Like, when I go home, it's hard for us. Uh, You know, she sold her house last year. She's moved into a retirement home this year. And whenever we would go home, she always wanted to know, what do you want for dinner tonight, Rife? And so she's going to go in here and I'm like, we'll go out to eat. Like, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm I'm rich, you know. <laughs> We're going to the waffle house tonight. We're splurging, you know. And uh and I'm like, "Mom, you don't have to do that." But you couldn't she would not take no for an answer. Y- you wake up, she wants to f- fix a, a full buffet breakfast every morning she, because that's her love language, just serving. And um I remember she used to make me so mad serving as a teenager because she ironed everything. I mean, she would iron your underwear. I'm not joking. You think I'm laughing. I'm not joking. Like, that's fine. Just don't put starch in it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but she would iron my, my jeans. Has anybody ever ironed jeans before? Uh, you know, that might have been cool at one time, but that was not cool in the day that I was a kid. And she would iron my jeans. And once you, just one time, one time, you put a crease in jeans. You're going to have a white line in it for the rest of, uh, of the jeans life. You're never going to not get that crease out of there. And I would get so angry at her speaking her love language to me. But she was a servant. Moms just, they're somewhere embedded in the word mom, servant. Because moms, they literally from the day, you know, I don't know, all through the pregnancy they're serving, you know, I I guess. But from the day that baby pops out, that mom is serving that child. I mean, moms are are born milkmaids. You know what I'm saying? Like from the day that child... uh, is born, they're a milk factory. They're serving that child. You know what I'm saying? It's like they are servants. It's embedded. It's built into them. And so, you know, when we're talking about uh, impact, uh, uh, Andy Stanley has this great quote. He says, the greatest, he's talking to women, he says, the greatest impact that you may have in the kingdom is your child. Think about that now. The greatest impact you may have in the kingdom of God may be the child that you give birth to. Just think about it. You know, somebody had Reinhard Bonnke. Somebody had uh, Billy Graham. Somebody had the Apostle John. Somebody had jesus the messiah like the greatest impact that you might have the, la- the the most lasting that's why these kids up here on the stage that's why it's so important because in them are generations you, you follow me in them there are generations of children of adults of world changers that how important it is to disciple and to influence them. So listen to this. As we're talking about impact, we're talking about impact It's that life-changing encounter. It's that encounter that has a life-changing effect on another's life. Like we want our life to matter. We want what we do in this world to have an effect, a positive effect, on another, and every one of us are coming into contact and impacting in some way. Every impact is not positive. There are times where people have impacted you, and it's been a very negative encounter for you. It's been a, ne- a negative impact on your life. When we honor moms today, Sometimes it's hard for people to honor their moms because their mom had a negative impact on their life. I, you know, I want to be careful and transparent at the same time because, and that's hard to do. That's hard to do to be transparent and careful at the same time because there are people in this room that you know, my mom. There are. Uh, at times there may be someone who might be watching that knows my mom some of my family members could be watching today so I don't want to dishonor my mom but at the same time my childhood was was rough and they would say it would be no you had a great childhood I'm telling you I experienced it it was rough there were lots of things that went on in my childhood that I've been in counseling uh, you know, at times in my life to help me heal from those moments in my life. I really get it. And if we're not careful, we'll let those uh, instances of trauma affect us and influence us and define who we are. And that's why I can say to you, for many years, I did that. I, I would relegate this, this day to someone else because of the negativity of, of that impact on my life. It was too painful for me to say anything positive because of the depth of, of the trauma that I went through. I don't say this to you, and a lot of times I'll have people say, to, say things to me and they're like, well, you don't understand. Listen, I try to never speak from this podium about things that I don't understand. And if I do, I will tell you that I don't understand. But I understand trauma. I understand deep trauma. I'm not talking about somebody hurt my feelings at church trauma. Get over that. Like, you know, like they're going to hurt your feelings at work. They're going to hurt your feelings in the workplace. My wife hurts my feelings all the time, you know. (laughs) Like I hurt her feelings too. I know that. You know but the point being is like I'm talking about things that will scar you and 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 turn you into this callous bitter uh deformed person, and your outlook can be so pessimistic and and warped everything's not positive but once you come to the knowledge of the power that you have, the power of your words, the power of influence, and, you know, as we're talking about making an impact, this whole series is really how do you make an impact on the world? How, how do we make an impact? And we're talking these through in these five, what, Inside the church, we can call them five love languages. But out in the world, you know, that doesn't translate to the corporate world or sometimes in the areas where you go during the day. But what are five ways that we can communicate value, how we can communicate compassion, which is love? Because the world is looking for somebody to understand them. The world is looking for somebody to love them. And we should be the ones making the impact. But many times we're screaming back at them. We're ridiculing them for their views. Well, many people, you understand, as we train our children up in the way they should go, the world trains their children up in the way they should go. And they don't know the truth. So many times, we've got to show them truth. We've got to show them love. We've got to show them compassion and come from a place of not telling the world what's wrong with you before we just let them know, hey, you are valued. We love you. And I'm not, I'm not listen, I'm not up here speaking some therapeutic speak. Do you follow me? I'm not up here saying, well, let's just tolerate everybody and everything. And no. Well, you don't understand. Do, listen, before you ever say you don't know, you need to ask me if I know. Because I'm sitting here telling you as a parent, I can tell you from experience, I do know about a lot of stuff that's going on in the, in, in the secular world and how that now, some of that stuff is not those people out there, but it's these people inside my family. Are you following me? Yeah. Oh, it's real easy when you ain't got nobody inside your family that way. But once you got somebody inside your family that's either an alcoholic, drug addict, homosexual, transgender, all these different things, who had an abortion, you know, all of these things. Once you got somebody in your family that, that, that has experienced some of those things, it takes on a little different meaning. It doesn't mean the truth ever changes. It simply means that while... Now, you're not on the outside looking in. You have personal experience with it. So how do we impact the world? How do we go out and communicate compassion to the world? Because listen, church, us coming to church on Sunday, um, this this is just a hard fact to my church family. Coming to church every Sunday, we're, we're not making an impact on the world. Like, we come to church here to worship God. It's not evangelism. I don't care who taught us that, who told us that, or what anybody else is telling you. Bringing somebody to church that is not evangelism. It, it may result in them getting saved. That's how I got saved. Somebody brought me to church. So praise God, God can work through that. But that's not what evangelism is. Evangelism is going outside of the world and making an impact out there first. And then, as you bring people in here, you begin they, they are familiar with you they 've built relationship with you that when when things start going supernatural in a service like this, see, if I can just get on a soapbox for right, for, for right here for just a second. so many people come through the doors of this church that they're church shopping, and what they 're doing is basically they're looking and, and, and I know we have a few visitors here this morning, and please i 'm not taking any pot shots at anybody i 'm talking about the general culture of the American church right now. We have a church on every street corner. We're like buffet uh, restaurants, and you can come in and you can select, well, I like that preacher, but I don't like the singing. Or I, man, I love their singing. Can't stand that preacher. Man, I, I hate their kids ministry, but I love their youth ministry. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, good Lord, I wouldn't have had people in my family if I had to uh, had that kind of ability. Now I like that sister, but that one right there, I'm, we're gonna send her to some other family. Now I, I don't like really. I like one of my brothers, all the others they can go. You know what I'm saying? No, we can't do that. We can't choose family. But why do we do that with our church family? Why? Because it's a street church on every street corner, and we've turned the American church into a consumer market. It's totally not about what Holy Spirit is saying and doing, and it's about what what the market wants. Listen, I ain't telling you something I don't know. I know more about church than anybody in this room, and I don't say that arrogantly. This is my business. If, if I get one email, I'm not even joking, I get four, maybe five emails a week telling me how to grow our church. Do you not think that I would like for our church to be larger? I would, but I refuse to do what the church world is telling us we have to do to make it happen. I just, I'm not going to do it. I get it. People are doing that. But we're not going to do it. I mean, we might, but I'm not going to be the one leading that. I'm not going to lead that charge. Like, man, we've got to do more than just what we do on Sundays. Sunday is for us, and Sunday is for worshiping the Father. It's supernatural. I don't know the last time you had a natural God. I don't need him. I don't need a dumbed-down version of God. See, when people start going, I just don't understand why God would. That's right. You don't. I mean, you, sometimes you're just going to have to say, you don't know. If your toddler comes to you and goes, you know, oh, uh, screwdriver, school screwdriver, school want to stick it in the... Outlet, you know, and you go, no, 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 bad. If you do that, I'm going to spank your hiney. Man, I had to tear Noah up one time when he was a little uh, two, three-year-old kid trying to do that. And you tell them no. All right, so what if, what if I'm trying to explain to the three-year-old, son, you don't understand electricity is going to come out of there. Electricity and metal, uh-uh, that's a bad deal. Like, it's going to come out of there, and it's going to shock you, and that's going to send that electricity in your body. That's got to come out somewhere. Electricity is not made to come where, somewhere and stop. You have to break the circuit. All right, you know what little 3 year olds going to be doing? Why? Because they don't understand the higher way. So when we're looking at this experience, this is for God, that out there is for us to focus and make an impact. Go out and be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And we do it through one of these ways. We do it through physical touch. We do it through Spending quality time with people. We talked about words of affirmation. Today, we're going to be talking about acts of service. And next week, we'll pick up on gifts. But acts of service, if you look at Jesus' life, he was always serving. He was always serving wherever he went. As a matter of fact, there are two of my favorite scriptures that when we talk about serving, the very first one describes who Jesus is. For even the son of man, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So this scripture is saying, Jesus himself is saying, listen, I didn't come for y'all to serve me. I came to serve you. I am a servant. I want you to look at me, and when you look at me, you're going to think of servant. At the Last Supper, I mean, listen, guys, this is the last time he's really going to be with these guys in this communal corporate setting. And so what's what's Jesus doing? He's doing what servants do. They don't see him as a servant. He wants them to see him as a servant. So what does he begin to do? He starts washing all the disciples' feet. And he's like, listen, this is how I want to model what what life looks like. And so the second scripture is this, Matthew 25, 40. Jesus is telling a parable about the father. And he says, truly I tell you, the king is speaking in this parable. The king is the father God which you could deduce down, is Jesus himself. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And in the context of that, uh, Jesus is telling them that, that parable, that story about, well, you came and visited me when I was in the hospital. I came and visited you. Abel came and visited you. Several others came and visited you. You know who you were laying in the bed? You were Jesus. You were Jesus. He said, you came and visited me when I was in prison. You came and visited me when I was sick. Those people in prison and sick, who are they? They're Jesus. Jesus is telling, basically he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Who are those people? They're our neighbors. He's saying, when you do it for people who are less fortunate, it's just like you're doing it to me. I'm telling you what, guys, if we would catch that truth, Like, when I went to the hospital to see you, and I'm just going to use you because it was so, it's good to have you today with eight broken ribs. Uh, But, you know, I I love that, that, like, you love the house of the Lord so much, Butch, that, man, you're not going to let eight broken ribs keep you away. Come on, somebody! This is not a man who wakes up, pulls the curtain back, Uh, I saw two drops of rain, not going today. Not that guy. Eight broken ribs, he comes up in here. But I'm using that example because it's so recent. If we could capture this, that when you make that trip to see somebody, whenever you do whatever service it is, it's as powerful as any moment inside this sanctuary. Listen to me. It doesn't replace what happens in this sanctuary it complements. Are you following me? So it's not either or, it's both and. And so when, if we could get that, that man, when we go and when we serve, it is as powerful as the most amazing worship in music. It's more powerful than the best, you know, feeling that you get from God speaking to you directly in a message. It is as powerful as any prophetic word that God would speak over your life in a service. It's powerful. Like, say it with me. Impact is powerful. Impact is powerful. And so, here's what I want to have as the main driving uh, point today. Is God isn't concerned about the size of our sacrifice. He's concerned about the size of our faith. And... steps of our obedience, all right? Just let it marinate for a second. So God's not concerned about the size of your sacrifice. Well, I'm just not going to give because I don't have as much. I just, you know, I only got one day that I can serve at that thing. You know know what I'm saying? Uh, They're doing that for four days. I only got one day. They, you know, they, they can get... It's not about the size. It's not about how many days you can serve. It's not not about that. It's not about the size of your sacrifice. What God is concerned with is the size of our faith. And he said, man, if you just have a little teeny tiny bit of faith, just a little bit of faith, size of a mustard seed. The the great thing about a mustard seed, man, it grows into this massive tree. He's concerned about our steps of obedience. Like, listen, listen. That's why at the end of every message that I will ever preach, you will have like, now what do you want me to do with it? I'm going to give you some action steps. It's not the only action steps. These are just inspirational. They're just triggers to kind of get you going. It's your, it's your, uh, that starter, you know, like they have in bread. It's like, you know, Hey, here's this isn't a loaf of bread, but it's a starter kit. That's what the application is at the end of the message. Like, Because if you and I come and we don't literally take this today and start putting it into practice in our life. Listen, I can just tell you, we're, we're, we're like dead men's moans in a whitewashed coffin. Like we have to be doers of the word. Doers, it means action. It means, okay, what's happening with this that I learned? So say this with me God isn't concerned about the size of our sacrifice, He's concerned about the size of our faith and the steps of our obedience. All right, John chapter six, let's look there real quick. John chapter six, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Are you there? Now, this is not the first time that Jesus uh, fed the 5,000. I think there was another incident where he fed 4,000. But, you know, so Jesus is is in the fish multiplying and bread multiplying business. This is the first time that it happened, though. This is one of the first accounts. So, verse 6. After seeing this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed on a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And Jesus soon saw, everybody say saw. He saw a huge crowd of people. What were they doing? Coming to look for him. They were searching him out. And then he turns to Philip, one of the disciples, and he asked, so where can we buy some bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Um, Let's pause there for a second. So in the other uh, incidents that are described in the Gospels about this, we know that they had been following Jesus all day, and some of them for multiple days. Jesus knew that they were out there and they were without food and the people back in that time are not like people today. You know, we got to have something at every third exit that we drive by. We got to stop in at Bucky's or Slurpee 7 or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Not not out here. You know what I'm saying? So that he knew that these people were getting hungry. He asked Philip, where can we buy some bread to feed all of these people? He's asking Philip that because they're close to Bethsaida and that's Philip's old stomping grounds. So it's like, that's why, it's like, hey Hey, you're from around here. Where's the locust, uh, lo, the local Panera bread that we can go, you know, buy these folks something to eat? And so Phillips replied, even if we worked for months, in another translation it says it would cost half a year's wages. Think about how much you make in a year, all right? Average person, I don't know what the median average uh, income is. Let's just, let's just, for the sake of argument, say $50,000, okay? Somebody makes $50,000 a year. All right. Philip said, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. He not only, uh, not only that, it doesn't say it here, but even if they had the money, there wouldn't be enough bread that they could go and buy for that many people in one location. It was, wasn't was possible. So in verse eight, Andrew, well, let me go back to verse seven. So let's just say, In another translation it says it'd take a half a year's wages. So let's just say fifty thousand dollars. So what the event that they were at would take twenty-five thousand dollars in denarii at that time, but twenty-five thousand dollars to feed them for one meal. Blows our like if we were doing it today blows our mind, all right? So it doesn't mean that it's any less economically, wow, in their time. And so in verse 8, Andrew says, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, hey, there's a young boy here. Say here. Here. Where is he at? He ain't over there. He's here. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? He's like, hey, well, there's this guy. That won't work because we got too many people. Not gonna work, all right? So again, let's go back to it. And then he says, in verse 10, Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. So just men. So if they had women with them, and not all of them would have had, the disciples didn't have their wives with them, we don't think, but not all the women were there. They were getting their nails done, you know. But let's just say half of the women were there. So 2,500, all right. So, what if every woman had 2.5 kids with her? Very quickly, this number jumps between 13 and 15,000 people. So, when he feeds the 5,000, he's not just feeding 5,000, he's feeding between 13 and 15,000 people. And so, he has them sit down and afterwards, he did the same with the fish. Uh, Wait, verse 11. He took The loaves and gave thanks to God. That's really important. And he distributed them to the people. After he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Underline that. They all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full. Say full. Jesus told his disciples. Now gather the leftovers. So nothing is wasted. Man God ain't into waste. He's like. Hey, gather what's left over. So they picked up the pieces and filled uh, 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. In verse 14, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they, sh- they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet we've been looking for, we've been expecting. Huh, people have expectations. And guess what? They were not in alignment with Jesus coming. See, they are looking for a prophet. P-R-O-P-H-E-T. They're looking for a prophet to become their prophet king. Are you following me? Like, he is a prophet, but not their kind of prophet. They want him to come overthrow the Jewish government. Because they they are occupied by a foreign government in Jerusalem. Are you following me? And they're looking for that guy that is not who he is. They're trying to put an expectation upon him. Come on, somebody. They're trying to put an expectation upon him that is not his to carry. All right? And so what does he do when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him? Oh, my God. When, they, when he saw that the people were ready to force him. Pastor, we don't care about what your vision is. Let's do this. You know, Jesus, we don't care that you don't want to be uh, the, the great prophet king of, of, of Israel. and thr- You know, we're going to make you do that. Like, he's like, when they saw, when he saw them getting ready to force him into a role he did not come to fulfill, what does Jesus do? My God, oh my God, this is awesome in so many ways. He slips away. Nobody move. Don't make any sudden gestures. He's looking over at the boys and he's like, we fixing to duck out this back door. How, if you look at this in the prophetic church family, how sad that was. They're ready to force their opinion, their wants, their desires, they're fixing to force it to happen. And God does not partner with that. Oh, come on, somebody. What's happening? Ichabod is happening. Are are you following me? Because if you've been in the church any length of time and you know what Ichabod is, the glory of the Lord has departed. What's happening? Jesus is slipping out of this place. And he's leaving it. Because their hearts weren't in the right place. That's a powerful, powerful prophetic, prophetic picture. That it's like, man, we should be, listen to me, we should be, Lord, come. And I haven't said this in this house in a long time, but I used to say it a lot in the early days. Father, we say, come. And whatever it looks like, we say yes to that. Because so many times we don't say yes. We say, Lord, come and make them sing that song. You know, I only like these kind of songs. And if they don't sing these kind of songs, and if the preacher don't preach this way and this and that, what are we getting back into? The culture of consumerism. That's what was happening right here. It was a cult- culture of consumerism. It was a culture that said, we, we want you to come, we, we want you to be it, but you got to do it our way. And Jesus is like, "No." I can't, I I have to be about my father's business. I have to be about my father's business. And what he begins to do is he begins to slip away. All right, now, as we talk about this, I want us to look, because I think there's six lessons that we can learn uh, about serving. All right, so six lessons from this right here we can learn about serving. Number one, what do you see? What needs do you see around you? Because Jesus, the people came looking for him. Like, it, you don't even have to go out and, and say, man, what, what do we need in our community? Listen, just go out and look. Just go out and look. If, you're, if your community has a lot of homeless people around you, what do you think God wants you to minister to? Homeless. 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 If there's homeless, we need to be ministering to the homeless. If there's drug addicts, we need to be ministering to the drug addicts. I cannot tell you how many churches that I know personally that they even had ministries come in and started doing what the church wouldn't do, and they kicked the people who were out doing it. Sheila, you remember that church down in Tampa, Florida, where we went and took our youth group to do inner-city ministry? Massive church. Lots of money had residual income from this, I don't know, 14... uh, story, uh, retirement home that man, money is just coming in by the masses on all of those units. And listen to me, I'm, I'm taking care of my mom's bills. I'm telling you, those places are expensive. This church had massive amounts of money, but there were about five old starchy probably white, people that were controlling it. And when these young people came in and they started bringing the neighborhood whores, I'm sorry, but that's what they were, prostitutes right off the street, when they start bringing in the drug addicts and they start feeding them in a church that was empty, they came in and said, we don't want y'all meeting here anymore. Nobody is meeting here anyway and they kicked the kids who were doing the ministry out. You know what that is? Ichabod. The glory of the Lord is slipping away, and they're too dumb to know it. Look around. What do we see are our needs? I want you to open your eyes as you drive through these communities in Baldwin County and Mobile, and you begin to see what are the needs around here that we can partner. We can't do everything, but we will do something. Here's the second thing. What needs, uh, uh, the need sometimes looks insurmountable. Jesus looks around and he sees these people coming to him. He says, how are we going to feed all these people? We, if we've if we saved up half a year, there's still there's not enough panera bread stores around it's it's not, we can't do anything about it they're going to have to take care of it themselves listen i'm telling you i get presented with needs all the time all the time and i go listen we're a small church we don't we don't have that big city hope budget we don't have that big three circle budget we don't have that big x y n c first baptist church budget you know we can't do what can we do what can we do and here's the start with what you have um, Andrew says, "Well, here's a little boy. He's only got you know, he's only got these fish and loaves. What do you have? All right, we'll start there. Well, we can't give 15,000 dollars, but we can give a thousand. Start there. Well, we can't give 5,000, but we can give 250. Start there. You know what I'm saying? Start with what you have. There are so many places in Scripture that you can look and, and the Lord speaks to Moses. When, Moses is, when he's saying, Moses, I want you to walk across, I, you know, I don't have, we don't have any way to get across there. What do you have in your hand? A staff. Strike the water with that staff, and it opens up. When the prophet, I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha, but he goes to the widow woman and he says, make me, man, I'm so hungry. Can you make me a cake? And she's like, this is all I have. This is all I've got. And I, we're, we're fixing to eat it. And then we're going to lay down and die. And he's like, listen, you fix it for me. What have you got in the house? That's all I got. Well, you fix it for me. You sacrifice it for me. And then go and get all the pots and jars and everything you can. And I'm going to make sure that those are filled. Start with what you have. Listen, we, you don't have to do everything, but you should do something. I don't have to do everything, but I should do something. We, Destiny Church, we hadn't got to minister to every need that there is in our community. But we should be ministering to some of them. Look at this, verse four, uh, uh, the fourth thing is serving requires sacrifice. Oh, stop here because nobody wants to sacrifice. Let's just finish it and go home. But if you'll be so bold as to listen to this, serving requires sacrifice. It's going to require sacrifice. Listen, I really want you to listen to me on this. If you're doing something that's like you're busy doing something else, because if you don't get this, you just... It's over. This message is over for you. Sacrifice. It's going to take some of your time. Sacrifice some of your stuff. It might be that you're going to have to sacrifice your car for a few days. It might be that you're going to have to sacrifice some of your stuff, your clothes, your whatever. Like, I've been at places where I'm like, I needed to give somebody something, but that's my favorite one. And I got three of these back at my house that I don't like as well. Dude, crucify that mess. Take it off and give them the one that you have on. There's biblical precedence for that. You know what I'm saying? It's going to require sacrifice. Well, I just don't want to invite those people into my home. Or I don't want to have those people in my home. You're, who's home? Because listen, it ain't your car. It ain't your house. It ain't even your body. Everything you got has been given to you. You didn't, literally, you didn't get anything your own. Yeah, I got my job. I got my, listen, man, your health can be gone just like that. You don't believe me? Ask that guy who was great one day and the next day he had eight broken ribs. Like, No. It's gonna require sacrifice. I was telling some people the other day about some big outreach that we used to do at one of our churches, and I'm like, it was, it had to be just a stench in the nostrils of God. It was back before another church. I think they do Merry Christmas Gulf Coast or something, uh, and they did Merry Christmas Baldwin County. But our church, to my knowledge, had the first Merry Christmas Baldwin County, and. We would do these massive, uh, we're giving away a turkey to everybody and food and, you know, uh, 18,000 bicycles and yada, 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 yada. I've gone off and I've done some study and been trained. All of that is, there's a term called toxic charity. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That is when you just throw money at stuff. It's toxic. You're not teaching that person how to fish for another day. You're just throwing money at them. And it's a consumeristic mindset. And so, you know, that's what we did. And we would, you know, I, and I'm just telling you, man, one of the downsides and dangers of a of, of serving the world is pride. Like it's really more about, we feel good about what we did, man. Look at us. Oh, God, it, we are awesome. Can we get a picture of you and your poor little house? Because we're going to put this on our website, make a cute little church video, and come back to church. On our missions team, I tell people, you, we do not take pictures. Like, if we can get one discreetly or ask their permission or whatever, but we are not coming on this missions trip. And if you'll notice, like, we, you know, we it's hard for us because we don't get pictures of stuff like that because it's not about filling that need that's inside of us that says, look at us and what we did and we made such a powerful impact. Many times, Jesus, he was like, he did something, he served, and he's like, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody you saw me here. Don't tell anybody I did that. Don't tell anybody. Why? Because it wasn't about him; it was always about the people. And so, serving it requires this sacrifice. Going back to our church, I need to finish that little story up. Um, it was really, really sad because we'd have these people come in, and we'd come into our sanctuary, and it's like, uh, "Hey, we're gonna give you a bicycle, but guess what? Guess what?" Come and get it, come and get it, come, 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 come on, come on, come on. You're almost there, fixing fixing to make, you know, an altar call for you. Just give them the stupid bike, for God's sake. Just give them the bike. You can't force people. Like, you can't bait and switch people. Like, give them something and then say, man, we got this, if you want to ever hear it. Come hear us on Sunday. We'd love to have you. But instead, see, I'm, I'm inside. I'm inside. They come in, and guess what? I mean, I ain't never seen, you mostly smell it, but I've never seen so many 12 pack a day smokers in my life. And you get that many in your church, I'm telling you what, you can't get that smell out for days. Li- they're not smoking inside the church. They literally just sat in the church. I had an uh, aunt that lived right across the street from us. You could not walk into her house for t- two, three minutes and then walk out and your clothes not reek of smoke. In that sanctuary, we could not get the cigarette smell out of our sanctuary. I mean, it reeked. And so all the People in the, on the teams were coming, and they had this Febreze. You know, they were bringing it in by the cases. The dump truck is, you know, dumping Febreze bottles in the foyer. I'm exaggerating. But I'm not joking. They were Febreze and everything, and they were just talking about, like, oh, I can't believe how bad it smells in here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, if you invite the world inside, this is what you're going to get. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, your beautiful building, like, maybe y'all should have thought this through. You should have done this somewhere else. You should have began with the end in mind, you know? And then you get up, and you, you're trying to worship, and they're as dead as 4 o'clock in the morning and looking at, at you like you got three eyes on your head. Why? Because they're not worshipers. They're not even the majority of them Christian. So when we get up and we sing, sing songs like, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. How can you exalt something that you don't even know what that is? So that's why I'm saying they were trying to get to Z when they had, they miss A, B, C, D, E. They miss lots of steps. Yeah. But man, I'm telling you. If you're going to serve the community, there's sacrifice that's going to come. There's, if we're going to serve the community, there's going to be times, and I'll tell you about this. I'm trying to wrap this up. Uh, Melissa, come play stop music. So uh, if y'all see her over there, fourth, you know, banging on those keys, that means she's ready to go. I'm going to talk to you about this a little bit more here in a minute. But see, I don't get upset when stuff in this building happens, that it gets damaged. All of this is passing away. None of this will exist. We might not even be in this church for the rest of our church life. We might go somewhere else. There's going to be holes in the wall. I've made massive holes in walls. I ran ran a, a lift through two walls. Like, you know, it's going to happen. That stuff is not important. We're going to have the kids are going to mess stuff up. The outside community is going to mess stuff up. And yes, we want to take care of things, but we're going to have to learn that what's more important? Sacrifice. What's more important? Sacrifice. And I'm telling you what, the answer is real easy, people. Every time. People every time. People every time. So, the fifth thing is this. God will provide a surplus. God will provide a surplus. There have been times where, you know, I've been raising money for something. I remember multiple times where we were raising money for different things and God says, give it away. I'm like, Nick, Lord, we've been working on this. And you give it away, give it away, give it away. I know, I know you're, you had an idea for that 50,000, but give it to this. And we've given away and given away and given away, but I'm telling you what, we've always had our needs met, and God provides a surplus. When He goes out and they use those five loaves and, uh, or or, sorry, yeah, five loaves and two fishes, or have I got it backwards? You get the point. Take those fish and loaves, and dude, God provides so much more to where there were 12 baskets full left over. Come on, somebody needs to get in your mind that God will provide a surplus for you. That's why it is better to give than it is to receive. Like, God's got a surplus coming for you. I've lived in that vein of thought that it's like, man, I, you know, I only have so much. I can't give. I can't, I can't. Anytime you hear the word can't when it comes to give, that's not the voice of God. That is the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of the enemy. It's not about what, how big the, the sacrifice is. It's about the sacrifice. Just be obedient. God, he'll provide a surplus. Some of you, God is storing up a surplus for you. Listen to me. You've given and given, and I'm talking about you've given your time. You've you've volunteered, you've served inside the church and outside the church. You've given financially, you've given stuff away. You've given cars away, you've given equipment away. Listen, God's got a surplus that he's planning to release to you. I really felt that you know I'm not one of those preachers that that just say that kind of stuff flippantly, but I truly felt when I was when I was studying this out that there's a surplus that's about to come upon some of our I'm including myself in that on some of our houses because of the heart of generosity and sacrifice that we have had and when God does it you give him we'll give him the glory for it so Lord I receive that for my house and verse uh, or sorry I keep saying verse but six slip away six lessons that we can learn about serving slip away slip away What did Jesus do? He slipped away when they started wanting to raise him up. Listen, if we're not careful, we'll make serving about us. We'll want it to become a photo opportunity for us. We'll want it to think, be, be like, it's about us. And I truly get this. I've been on the other side of this, that, you know, WKRG or some TV station is outside because they want to find out, Pastor, can you come out? They want to do an interview with you and, and whatever. And I've done some of that stuff. I've just never been good at it. Because at the end of the day it truly is not about publicity it's not about any of that if we really want the heart of Jesus do it and then slip away do it I'm not saying you can't ever get a photo op I'm not saying that every one of those that a person that does that oh Pastor Rive said he's got a hard heart and he's callous and going to hell don't ever think that I'm saying that about somebody that you might see no I'm not judging that I'm just saying a heart of humility, that it's like, man, we're here to serve. We're not here for, for you know, any kind of aggrandizing of us. So these are six lessons. In this story, there's a character, and I say this like these aren't real people, but in this, in this account, there's a person that's very important, all right? Who do you think that person is? Just shout some names. They're all probably going to be wrong, but just shout them anyway. Who? The boy? Who? Say it again. The mother. Oh my gosh. The mother of the boy. She's not mentioned at all in here. We're going to give you a nail and a pedicure for that, for getting that right. (laughs) She isn't even mentioned. But The miracle of the feeding of thirteen to 15,000 people. The person that made it happen. Oh, that was Jesus. No, it wasn't. He's the one who multiplied it. The the one who made it happen was that little mama baking those loaves of bread. She probably gave him the money to, you know, catch the fish or or, uh, buy the fish if, If he did or if he caught them. But the point being, we started with moms and we're ending with moms. Mama, sometimes the greatest thing you're going to do is you're not going to feed the 5,000, the 10,000, the 13,000. Your son's going to do it. Your daughter's going to do it. It does not make your part of it less integral. It doesn't diminish what you did. So those hours that mom has spent kneading dough and putting everything together and baking them and then wrapping them up, giving them to the son, like it started with that act of service. And we can carry that through so many different things in what we do as a corporate church. You don't know that the ministry that is happening today in Colombia because of you You don't know the ministry that is happening in Nigeria today because of you. You don't know the ministry that is happening in uh, Mexico and uh, Honduras and different other places. Even places in this uh, region that are happening right here because of what you invested. You don't even know about that. Why? Because you baked a loaf of bread. It was a check for 50 bucks. You baked a loaf of bread. It was a check written for $1,000. You baked a loaf of bread. It was a, I'm gonna go help do this at X church and help them tear out these walls or paint these walls. You baked that bread and God is giving an increase that you will get credit for. You will get credit for. Say this with me. God isn't concerned about the size of our sacrifice. He's concerned about the size of our faith and our steps of obedience. So I want you to look at this real quick. So there's four areas of impact, all right? Four areas of impact that uh, we've been talking about that we feel like God has called us to go and make an impact. Souls, that's people who who are not in relationship with Christ. Suffering. These are people with different needs, emotional, physical, addictions, things like that. Schools, and then our city. And so as we we've, we've been talking to you about about these, this is what um, I I want you to to know. All right, those sometimes God brings you stuff. This is really important. I, I promise you. I'll fix and let you go to the restaurant. Sometimes when we ask God for things, we have expectations like those people. But God has other ideas. And so we've been praying for these four areas here. And uh, God opened the door for these. Now, these are not like areas we're like, but what does the Lord want us to help with? I truly in prayer believe that these four things God gave me. And so we had a, a, a school network to contact us It's called the Navigators Homeschool Network. All right? Hmm. Well, Lord, I wasn't thinking about homeschoolers. I was thinking about Daphne High School and Daphne Middle School and Daphne Elementary School. I was thinking about public education, Lord. And there are some inroads that we have there. But as these people came looking for Jesus, guess who came looking for us? the navigators homeschool network and they're like hey we have um, students that we don't have a place to meet next year so uh the lease on the place that we had is closing out yada 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 we are looking for a place to go and so the immediate response is this oh that won't work Uh, I'm being honest here with the immediate response with, oh, that won't work. Oh, can you imagine having 270 kids in this building? And I don't even know that, oh, it's going to All the air and, you know, I mean, so dollar signs start adding up. But here's where I am. I'm so thankful that God speaks because the Lord said, now, didn't you ask me, to open doors for you? Because I told you where I want you to be. Didn't you ask me to open doors? And I just brought one and put it right in front of me. Are you going to say no to the very first thing I put in front of you? And I'm like, no, we got to meet with these people. We've got to meet with them and at least talk with them. And so Pastor Wesley and I met and we're like, hey, listen, so let's start this out in, in this way. So here's our building. You look at it and see what you can do. We don't know what y'all do. You know what you do. But we know this is our building. We can't make it any bigger and we can do what we can do. Figure out if this will work for you and then we'll talk from there. And then I said, it's either going to be the best idea in the world or it's going to be the worst idea. I said, we're either going to love it or we're going to regret it. But let's just do it. Let's just take a step of faith let's just sacrifice, take a step of faith. I don't know what the AC, the stupid bill in this building is crazy anyway. You know, it's just crazy how expensive the electricity is, you know, but listen, let's just do it anyway. Let's just do it. And I don't know what we'll have to do but like maybe the lord is preempting this because i said listen now we do want to start a daycare that looks like it might be a year or so away and i don't want you guys to come in and then you know but they're like well we need some place maybe god's using that to prep us for that time i don't know i don't know the answer to that so here's where i am i haven't even talked to the elders this shows y'all how much i pay attention to the elders that's sort of tongue in cheek, but I know our elders, every time I've ever gone to them with ministry opportunities, they're, they're, I'll even try to tell them, well, let's pray about it. pastor. If you think it's a good idea, it's, and I've heard them say over and over, it's never a bad idea to sow into the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? So anyway, uh, official, bo- unofficial board meeting to the couple of elders that are that are in here today uh we're gonna open the church to a homeschool network all in favor (laughs) hey aye. so so pastor wesley and i we met with them and we're like let's just do it let's just be obedient and and we'll worry about i know that kind of goes against the grain of beginning with the end in mind i mean we are doing some due diligence don't get me wrong but we're just stepping out in faith because these are the areas god said go into going into. So let me wrap this up for the third time. Uh, How can you activate it? So look, that's how I want you to activate it. Join one of our impact teams. Well, what are those, Pastor Rife? Because I've never heard of them. Well, I'm fixing to tell you about it right now. When you leave today, they're going to give you this card. It's got those four areas and on the back, it's got a QR code that you can take a picture of and it'll send, well, not take a picture. Let your camera, take you straight to that. Well, Pastor Rife, I ain't that highfalutin and I, uh, you know, don't know all that stuff. Go to dci.life on your computer. Either one of those places it will take you. And it's going to ask you, you know, hey, what, what are some skills that you have that you can help us with? Do you know any needs that are out there? Do you have any resources? What experience do you have? And so, you'll tell us those things and we're going to begin to put together Teams that will go outside of our church. We we do this now, but it's just not that organized. You know, we kind of handle it from a staff perspective, but teams that will go out to the elderly, teams that will help in small construction or repair projects, teams that will uh, go out and provide meals and different things like that. So join one of our impact teams. Go to this and tell us how you can be a part. And then, The second thing is this. Learn to live by this motto. What can I do to help? How can I help? There's a television show that Shay and I uh, used to watch a while back. It's one of those doctor shows. I can't remember which one it was. But there's this, this hospital is under budget. It's understaffed. They're constantly having all kind of issues. And so the new guy comes in. The new leader comes in. And his question to every single one of the problems is, how can I help? How can I help? The whole idea behind the show is that, dude, this guy is a servant and a problem solver. And so that's what I want us to be in our community. I want us to be servants and I want us to be problem solvers. How can we help? Well, you can do this. Can't do that much, but this is what we can do. I will, well, we need you to provide, can't provide all of that, but we can provide this. Well, we need you to blah, 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 blah fill in the blank. Oh, we can take care of that all by ourselves. Do you see where I'm going with it? So people of impact, God's not concerned about the size of our sacrifice. He's concerned about the size of our faith and our steps of obedience.